But I wouldn't say superstitious. The only thing I did over my time was put my left shoe on first uh, before my right shoe and my left shin guard on first before my right shin guard. But sometimes I'd put my right shin guard on first just to prove that, you know, it was total bull crap. But I thought that if I put, didn't put my left shin guard on first, I wouldn't play well. Welcome to So What's Next, the podcast for athletes to share their stories. I'm Jamie Nobbs, a former Australian figure skater, and I'm so excited to share the stories of some amazing Australian athletes. On this week's episode, our guest speaker is field hockey player and now multi-business owner, Jamie Dwyer. Jamie is a four-time Olympian, having gone to the 2004 Athens, 2008 Beijing, 2012 London, and 2016 Rio de Janeiro Olympic Games. Jamie scored the winning goal to get the Australian men's team to their first Olympic gold medal at the 2004 Athens and proceeded to get bronze at Beijing and the London Olympics. Jamie won gold at the 2010 and 2014 World Cup and silver at the 2004 and 2006 World Cup. He is a five times FAH, which is International Hockey Federation World Player of the Year, awarded in 2004, 2007, 2009, 2010 and 2011, which is an incredible feat. To add to these achievements, Jamie also has an Order of Australia Medal for his services to sport, was inducted into the Australian Institute of Sport Best of the Best and is now the owner of JDH and part owner of Perth Restaurants, Bib and Tucker and May Street Larder. Just a disclaimer for this episode, I did run into a few internet issues, so there may be a few glitchy parts, but it is still a terrific episode and I'm so excited to share it with you. Thank you so much for joining us, Jamie. No worries. Good to be on your podcast. So we start off the podcast with the same question every time. What was your childhood like? Uh, my childhood was pretty good, actually. I uh, grew up in a small town in Queensland called Rockhampton. And life was pretty simple, both uh, I had a big family, extended family with grandparents and when I was, I think, even into my teenage years, my great-grandparents were still around, lots of aunties and uncles. So, yeah, my childhood was great and I got into hockey through my family. So pretty much uh, I can remember playing hockey all my life, really. My mum played, my dad played, aunties and uncles and every Saturday I'd go down in winter and and watch them play and then started playing when I was four years of age and yeah life was easy and simple and I really enjoyed growing up in a small town and having a lot of family around me. What was the main drive to go into hockey? Was there any component of the sport that you loved? Yeah no I loved uh, I loved the game itself because of the speed, the, the hand-eye coordination which I was quite handy at, just the skills and I loved the more I played that Obviously, it was an Olympic sport and I wanted to go to the Olympics. That was my, you know, childhood dream was to go to the Olympics. And in a small town like that, you give everything a go. Um, But hockey was always my true love. And, and yeah, it was always my family's, I guess, first sport as well. So it just sort of matched up and eventually became pretty good at it. So it was good fun. (laughs) Did you look up to anyone when you were growing up? Was there any idols of yours? Yeah, there were a few around, like Jay Stacey, Stephen Davies when they went to 96, 92 Olympics, David Wansborough, 
and got to see him in t- Sydney 2000 as well. So those guys were my heroes. You know, they were the big names in the Australian team then. Rochelle Hawks as well, Alison Annan, I think those girls winning gold medals and, and, you know, being brilliant hockey players were also my idols. That's something I looked up to and had, you know, had their posters on my wall and wanted to be like them. As you progress going through as a junior and a senior, what did your training regime look like and recovery? I think once I, uh, well, when I was just growing up, it was just a few times a week and then playing the weekend, just have a bit of fun. Once I got to Brisbane, I had to move to Brisbane because I was um, wanted to take the next step. It increased a lot. I was uh, probably four times a week before work or after work, uh, either in the gym or training and then eventually once I was invited over here to the Australian Institute of Sport in Perth that's when things got serious and the the training really ramped up and trained pretty much every day three hard stick and ball sessions a couple of gym sessions uh, lots of meetings with talking about the opposition etc lots of recovery but I think like when I'm in that routine, even when I come home, I'm, I'm thinking about hockey. So you always think about how much water you should have, what you should eat, prepare for the next day as best as possible, just to try and give yourself that little edge every single day, continually improve just to get better every day. Even when I was voted best player in the world, won Olympic Games gold medal, I just kept wanting to get better and kept pushing myself. When you did reach best player in the world, how did you keep motivated during that time? Yeah, it was quite simple for me because I just wanted to get the most out of my potential. I I knew I was living my dream. I knew I was doing exactly what I wanted to do um, and I was very lucky. So I just wanted to push the boundaries and see how good I could get. We had a really good team with the Kookaburras and everyone was on board. We wanted to like push each other and and push ourselves. And yeah, I had a couple of good uh, guys, influences around me who, who helped that, like Brent Livermore, Michael McCann, especially earlier on. And I went from a 14 in the beep test to 16 after a few months of training with them. So, yeah, I, I guess it was hard when I was 25. You achieved your ultimate dream of becoming the world's best player. But, uh, yeah, I just saw I've got another, you know, four, five, six, seven years left in me. Let's, let's get the most out of this great opportunity. And when you retire, you're a long time retired. So I just pushed the boundaries in every single way. I tried to learn my body as best as possible, what worked well for me, whether it was yoga, food, just how I prepared for training. Everything was quite detailed and I tried to push the boundaries as much as I could to become the best player I possibly could become. One of the main achievements I saw was scoring the winning gold at the 2004 Athens Olympic gold medal match. As an athlete, what are you most proud of? Oh, yeah, there's a few things I'm proud of. I guess when you're playing, you don't actually sit back and think, you know, I'm good at this or I was good at that or, you know, you know, recognize your achievements. But now I've been retired for four years. Obviously, the biggest achievement in my life was winning the Olympic Games gold medal and how that all panned out with being injured 12 months before with an ACL injury, having the operation 11 months before the first game. I was out for eight months. So I didn't have really the best preparation going into the Olympic Games. Had ups and downs throughout that Olympics and then eventually hitting the winning goal to win the Olympic Games. And the first men's Olympic gold medal for Australia was, you know, it was a dream. I still pinch myself now that it actually happened. I won everything I wanted to win, like the World Cups, Champions Trophies, Commonwealth Games. Uh, The other thing was just my continual improvement, like to get... I was never the fastest, never the fittest. I wasn't, you know, the most skillful guy growing up, that's for sure. But I had to work really hard. 
and I got the most out of myself uh, physically and mentally throughout that period of my hockey career. And probably the other thing I was proud of was just the way I adapted. So in 2002, the game, hockey was so different to what it is now. And, you know, there's a lot of rule changes and things progressed. And the way I adapted to those rule changes and to the new skills was pretty good. I was a quick learner. So I was happy with how I progressed through that transition from 2002 style all the way to, to 2016. When you look back, you've touched on a few injuries like your ACL. What was the most difficult challenge for you as an athlete? Yeah, there's always injuries. I had two major injuries, and that was ACL on my left leg, left knee, and then I did that in 2003, and then I had another serious left knee injury in 2011. They were my big ones, which sort of, yeah, it's always hard when you get injured. You want to be out there training and playing with your team. But they happen. I had a few small injuries, but I guess my biggest challenge was committing to it, growing in a, up in Rockhampton. Um, it was hard to leave Rockhampton and then to, to really fully commit to trying to be, you know, the best player was the hardest. You miss out on family birthdays, your weddings, lots of stuff you miss out on when you commit to being an athlete and putting the team before everything else. I guess that was the biggest challenge of my career and probably most athletes is actually committing to it you know the trainings it's hard but it's it's fun the games when you go away are awesome fun yeah you get injured uh, that happens but the actual committing to that first step of leaving Rockhampton to get to Brisbane and then Brisbane to here and then uh, the journey since then was the biggest commitment. As an athlete how did you define success and now that you've moved out of the sport has that changed much? When I was playing probably I saw success as winning I wanted to win. I wanted to. I wanted to ask as a team to to win. Now I look back at it. I guess success was being at your best when your best is required. And whether you win, lose, as long as you're at your best. If you get beaten at your best, you can cope with it. But if you get beaten, you know you're not at your best. You haven't prepared well, or you might have had a little injury or something. That's quite frustrating. So I think, yeah, just preparing yourself best you can so you're at your absolute peak when it matters. I think that I was at my best for a majority of those big tournaments like Olympics, World Cups, Commonwealth Games. So that's something that I see as a success personally. As a team, I think it's great when you have a really good connection with all the players and you have a real strong team bond and good culture. And I've been in teams with a really strong team culture and I've seen I've been in part of teams that haven't had that culture as well so to be able to look your mate in the eye and go out there and you know he's got your back and you've got his back and go out there and fight for each other I think that's another success in a a team environment I guess the individual ones being at your best when your best is required and as a team just creating that culture and all fighting for the same you know the same goal is also very important. What do you think makes a good team culture? Oh, just the, the mateship, I think. Um, of course, you're going to have some arguments or disagreements with players and teams. As long as you can trust them 100% and they can trust you 100% that you're fighting for each other, like you're going to war sort of um, with each other. So I think if you have that 100% trust in your teammates and your coach, that creates a really good team culture. You can build that in a number of ways, whether it's out on the training pitch or whether it's um, in a coffee shop chatting to them about personal stuff or whatever. There's lots of different ways you can build that and some's organic and some's made up. 
But uh, to have it is vital for team success. Do you think that's the same in business now? Do you try create that culture in your business now? Yeah, I try to. It's uh, it's quite hard, I guess, with business because I'm the, like the captain and the coach, and uh, sort of I run every and the manager. I run everything. I'm trying to palm a little bit more off to other people, but also it's a little bit different in business because it's always money. It's involved a lot where you don't get that in sport because in the hockey team we're all paid the same amount of money, so we're all equal. But in business, it's all uh, layered. And money is uh, a big factor. It's something which, uh, yeah, it's it's the harder part, I guess, of running a business. But a lot of things transform from what I've learned in sport straight into business. And same with my attitude. When I was playing hockey, I wanted to enjoy it. I wanted to have fun because I was, you know, living my dream. But I also wanted to work hard and improve. And that's exactly the same attitude I'm taking into my business, businesses, I guess. Yeah, it's uh, it, a lot of what I learned for those 16, 17 years, even though I didn't come out with a degree or anything, prepared me well for life outside hockey. How about stress? How did you manage it in sport? And now as a business owner, how do you manage it? It's very similar, to be honest. Uh, when I was a player and I was stressed out, you know, I was worried about the opposition. I'd lay awake at night thinking about different players and how I'm going to take them on or how, you know, their strengths and weaknesses or different teams or outcomes you always think about you know if we're going to win or if we lose so that causes the most stress and now these days it's very similar with um how am i going to sell hockey sticks uh what designs i'm going to do who i have to employ what changes i need to make uh who are my competitors what's their advantage so things are very similar how i manage it i think you just got to have a positive attitude you only live once so yeah i try and enjoy it as much as i can and just keep it realistic like for example if i was playing a big game of hockey at the olympics yeah it's important yeah it means a lot to me but at the end of the day it's a game of hockey so just go out there give it everything i've got and then whatever happens happens i'm still going to come home to my wife and my kids and you know my house is still going to be here so i just start try and put everything in reality and that helps me not stress as much and you know i like doing some hobbies as well like golf when i play golf it sort of just frees my mind and i don't think about too much i do some yoga sometimes some breathing exercises and you just don't think about work or all the stresses in life so yeah i mentally i guess when i was playing i was quite intense and these days as well even though I come back I come off as a pretty laid-back sort of guy I get quite stressed out about I guess the outcome of what's going to happen but uh, the more I think about just the process of getting everything right and then the outcome will take care of itself the better I feel. When you started JDH it was before you retired from international hockey where did this idea stem from how did it come about? Oh it came about because a company came to me and said we want to make would you like to make your own brand? And I had a couple of opportunities at that time. It was just after uh, London 2012 Olympics and I was sponsored by Adidas and they said did they wanted me to work for them in Australia. So I had that option. I had another brand come to me and said, hey, let's start up a, a brand together and offer me a 10-year sort of working contract. But the idea of having my name on a stick really threw me towards the JDH option. So I started up with another company and they did all the logistics and they had the factory and I learned a lot during that three, four years that they were involved. Then after uh, Rio Olympics in 2017, I decided to buy them out and just run it 100% myself because it was becoming a pretty big brand and a bit of a competitor to the 
to the other people who own 50% of it. So I thought, let's do it by myself. And yeah, that's how it all started. I've always been interested in like the equipment side of it. I've always been very, very fussy with my hockey sticks and the shapes and the, the carbon content and how they feel. So it actually has worked out really well because I've just I've always loved it and now I've just gone into it and owning my own brand. I can build my own hockey sticks exactly how I want them to feel. And hopefully, you know, the quality shows. It's also been challenging because the business side of I didn't really know that well. So I had to learn a lot about how to actually run a business and turn over a profit and all the costs involved. I've learned a lot over the last couple of years and I'm still learning and that's that's great. I, I love just learning and improving every day. So yeah, it's it's been a good challenge, but so far I'm very proud of what I've achieved with the brand, but there's a, a lot to go. I'm just curious here. You said you were fussy with these sticks when you were an athlete. Were you superstitious at all? <laughs> Not really. Um, I like to have a routine, that's for sure. So before the games, I'd always look at the schedule the night before and, you know, I'd have to eat at certain times and what I ate and but I wouldn't say superstitious. The only thing I did over my time was put my left shoe on first um, before my right shoe and my left shin guard on first before my right shin guard. But sometimes I'd put my right shin guard on first just to prove that, you know, it was total bull crap. But I thought that if I put, didn't put my left shin guard on first, I wouldn't play well. So I deliberately put my right shin guard on first just to prove myself wrong. <laughs> but not superstitious. Got it. <laughs> Not superstitious, not really. Not like Rafael Nadal or those guys, you know. No, I I was actually the same. So with my skates, I used to put my left boot on first and then if I was stepping on the ice, it would be my left boot on first because obviously that's your lucky left. How did you find the transition from a professional athlete to a full-time business owner? Did you find it a difficult transition? Um, yeah, yeah, I think it's it's definitely different. I didn't find it challenging to business or working. I just found it challenging not doing, you know, my dream, playing hockey. You get old, family, different priorities. It was hard for me to adapt that I wasn't a hockey player anymore because that's all I did. That's all I ever wanted to do. So it was, yeah, it's, it's hard to think, damn, I, I wish I was playing for Australia still or, you know, I wish I was going on a tour with the boys and playing some awesome hockey. But um yeah, that was the hard part, just not doing what you loved. That's why I envy some sports where you can do it for a long time, like golf or, you know, sailing, for example. But in hockey, you have your, it's a pretty physical game and you have to stop at some point. And so that was, the, that was the biggest challenge, getting up and working and having other things outside my life help, like family. But sometimes still, especially the first couple of years, I was lying in bed thinking, oh, it would be so good if I had to get up and play hockey for Australia tomorrow and listen to the national anthem and, and you know, put on the green and gold. So that's that's the hardest part, I think. But over time, I think you got to be, obviously, if you're an athlete now, you got to be aware that it is different. It is a challenge and some people might struggle with that transition. Yeah, I didn't say I struggled, but I just, I missed it. Uh, that was the thing. I just missed the that feeling you get of it's game day, putting on the, you know, your Australian uniform, going out there against Germany or Holland and testing yourself at something you love doing. I miss that feeling. And that when you win and have success, that's a, it's a feeling you can't sort of replace, I don't think. But yeah, over time, you sort of just appreciate I've had these many years playing for Australia. I'm very lucky that I got to do that. 
and now my life is it's great i've got my own business i've got a couple other restaurants set up with a few other athletes got a lovely family so yeah i'm happy how long did it take for you to go from introducing yourself as jamie dwyer the hockey player to jamie dwyer the businessman (laughs) yeah uh probably a couple of years i think people still see me as jamie dwyer the hockey player but now more and more especially when an eight-year-old kid comes in or to buy a hockey stick, they go, oh, you're Jamie Dwyer, the, the owner of the hockey brand. I went, yep, that's me. Did you play hockey once? Oh, yeah, I played once before. A couple games. A couple of games. So, yeah, it's transitioning, obviously, and I'm transitioning as well. So I'm seeing myself as a business owner and not a hockey player. But, yeah, it did take probably a good year to come to grips with that. What skills do you think you acquired as an athlete that helped you in business today? Oh, so much. The communication as a in a team sport is vital and have that communication with my employees and distributors around the world and the factory is, is very important. The work ethic, things just don't happen if you're you know the best hockey player in the world. You have to work really, really hard. So yeah, just the work ethic and just that communication, probably two of the biggest things I've learned. And I'm a goal setter. I like setting goals and I like that's something that I did when I was playing hockey. I set goals every day or every week, every, you know, leading up to a tournament. So I'm a big believer in setting goals and what I have to do to, to reach those goals is vital. I set goals every night, what I want to achieve the next day for my business and weekly goals as well. Even if it's just two things I want to achieve, I try and achieve those goals. So, yeah, goal setting, uh, communication and hard work. Are you the sort of person that sets short and long-term goals or do you predominantly focus on the day-in, day-out, short-term, daily goals? No, what I do is I set long-term goals and same with my hockey career. My long-term goal was to win an Olympic Games gold medal. Um, But then, okay, what do I have to do to get there? So I work back from there. So I set the the goal of, okay, I want to sell 50,000 hockey sticks uh, by 2025. So how am I going to get there? And then you break it down to each country, um, the contracts, the the marketing, and then you do step-by-step the designs and go long-term first and then work my way down from there. And, yeah, with hockey it was, you know, I want to win an Olympic Games gold medal in 2004. So 2001 I played my first game. So this is the steps I have to take to to get to that goal. You're also a part owner of May Street Ladder and Bib and Tucker. How did that business partnership develop? Yeah, it was a bit of a gut feel, really. So I met Eamon in 2010, Commonwealth Games, and he just started up a coffee shop here in Perth in 2011, and I went to the opening of it. And we kept in contact, and he sent me, a, I think, an Instagram message or a tweet or something, and he just said, hey, do you want to be a part owner in a restaurant? I was like, yeah, cool, sounds awesome, thinking that not knowing the, the challenges or how big the restaurant was going to be. So <laughs> he said, uh, it's this 550-square-metre place on the beach and we have to pay 20 years lease up front. And I was like, whoa. And uh, all the advice I got from much smarter people than me said, don't do it, do not invest in a restaurant. But I just had this gut feeling that it's going to be cool. We had a pretty simple philosophy of what we want to do. Eamon had a lot of help from other restaurant people. So, yeah, we're getting good advice. And we got Bib and Tucker in 2011 and it opened in 2013. And since then, we opened May Street Larder and now we've got another couple. 
which is in Mount Hawthorne here. So it's really grown, but I've learned a lot from that as well because you can run a restaurant and turn over good money but not make a profit. So uh, the way Eamon and the chef, how they run the business has been a good learning curve for me as well. Even though I'm just an investor, I see all the reports and the, the profit margins, etc., and all the communication that goes on. So it's a, um, yeah, it was good to learn about that as well. But I guess I just got lucky. And if I was going to give advice to people wanting to start up a restaurant or anything, don't do it because it's, it's very, very hard. How valuable do you think it is for athletes to actually have a plan when they stop playing? So it seems like a few of these opportunities have come to you since being an athlete. Like you met Eamon on the Commonwealth circuit, the JDH hockey, obviously you were a very good player when the brand approached you. How valuable do you think it is to actually have a plan for people when they are looking at retiring? Yeah, I think it's critical. You have to have a plan. I was 32 before all this had happened and the only reason I started thinking about it because I was over in Holland and had that knee injury so I had to have an operation. I was out and I was like, geez, I'm 32, I've got no degree, I don't know what I'm going to do with my life just in case something happens, you know, what have I got? So it's very important that you have a plan. Saying that, (laughs) it's a very fine balance because if you want to become the best in the world at anything, you need to commit a lot to it, but you also need to have a backup plan. And I, I didn't have a backup plan. Everything's worked out well for me. If, if I had my time over again, I would have, when I was over in Holland, I was over in Holland for six seasons, I would have studied something or done, done something. So in case I broke my leg or couldn't play hockey again, I could go into something I enjoyed, whether it's accounting or being a carpenter or, or whatever, it doesn't matter try and figure out what you want to do for life after hockey and just make those little steps. You can have that the job for life after your sport. So, yeah, I think it's a very, very important. But if you want to be the best, you have to commit fully as well. So it's a, it's a very tough, I guess, balancing act that you have to do. Do you think there is such thing as a work-life balance as an athlete? There is. There is a work-life balance and you need to be balanced. Yeah, I just think you just got to make sure you got to plan really well. Plan your week. Okay, this is this is where I'm when I'm at. I'm 100% focused on hockey, and this is what I want to achieve. And after that, yeah, you do your recovery and stuff. And after that, I need to do these three hours for study. But also in sport, I think there's a lot of connections, and especially in hockey and other sports, there's so many connections. And just figure out what you want to do earlier on the better obviously and then you can get all these connections that can sort of guide you in the right pathway for life outside hockey as well and that's something that they do really well in Europe in the hockey scene in Holland for example or in Germany they figure out okay what do you want to do with your life you play for our club and then we'll teach you to be a a lawyer or whatever and then after you've retired here's a job for you so I think um Figuring out what you want and how you can get there and uh, using the connections you've got in your sport is also just as important as anything else. Since you've stepped away from competing, what do you think are the most important resources for supporting those with transitioning? We, we're very lucky in this country that our, our country is very sporty and sports people are put up on a bit of a pedestal. So life after that is um, people want to know you and want, to, want for you to work for them. So, yeah, I just think those connections are are really important and just to have that, that balance in life, like I said.
what legacy do you want to leave as a person? Do you want your legacy to be as a hockey player or something else? Yeah, hockey player. Um, I committed a lot to, to the sport and I gave everything. So hopefully people look at me and just go, yeah, that's Jamie Dwyer, the ex, um, ex-hockey player. Won Olympic gold medal and World Cup gold medals and was one of the, the greats for our country. So that's what I'd like people to do. I, I do, I guess, like I said, when you're playing, you don't, you don't look at how big you are or, you know, but I'm very proud that people actually started playing the sport because of me and the amount of people that text me on social media or, or whatever and said, oh, I played hockey because you played hockey and I wanted to play like you. That makes me really, like, happy that I've actually got people to play an awesome sport. So, yeah, I guess when people look at, at me and they, I think I want them to say, yeah, it's Jamie Dwyer, the ex-hockey player. <laughs> I think that's a pretty good legacy and it's, it must be so rewarding having those, those people look up to you. There are so many athletes that look up to you now. Do you have any advice that you received as an athlete that you still carry with you today? Yeah, I think uh, the advice I would give is to enjoy this moment in your life because you can't always be an athlete and it's definitely the best time of your life being an athlete. So really just to have a positive attitude and, and enjoy it. The other thing is to is to work out like sort of what you want out of your career and how you're going to achieve it. And like I said to you, one of the most satisfying things I had was after I retired, I could look in the mirror and go, well done, you know, I just gave it absolutely everything I had. So if you can look in the mirror after you've retired and be proud of your efforts, I think that's really important. So yeah, positive attitude, enjoy it continual learning and and try and get the most out of what you've got so we finished the podcast with the same question for every guest what's next what's on the horizon for you oh what is next okay uh obviously i'm it's very jdh related because i'm really focused on growing the brand as much as possible i'm really into it at the moment it's really exciting times go really hard with that and make jdh become one of the biggest brands in the world um, there's other brands like adidas and grays that are multi-sport brands that are going to be big but from a hockey pacific point of view i want jdh to be one of the biggest in the world um so that's high on my like to-do list uh the other thing is to spend a lot of time and quality time with my family i was playing hockey for so long i was in and out of the country a lot and I've got three awesome kids and a beautiful wife and to spend so much time with them. And I know coronavirus is here, so it's been a good opportunity to spend time with them. Uh, maybe they're sick of me, I'm not sure, but just to spend so much time with them and have an awesome like family feeling like I had when I was growing up. So that's probably, that is my number one priority. And there's other opportunities that might pop up with restaurants and other stuff in the future and maybe coaching uh, down the track. Once my kids are a little bit older, I'd like to coach Australia or another country. That's something which will, um, which I think I'd be good at and something that I want to do, but uh, not yet, not for the next uh, five, ten years. Well, we'll leave it there. I will put a link to uh, JDH in the show notes. So if anyone is interested in hockey apparel, equipment, sticks, they can just head there. But thank you so much for joining, Jamie. No worries at all. Thank you. Thank you to the listeners. Thank you to everyone that joined. I am an independent podcaster. I do this because I am passionate about the topic. 
I, as a figure skater, found the transition quite hard and I want to make sure that athletes feel supported, whether they're at a state level, elite level, whichever level they are, people that have committed their lives to sport and are looking at a transition out. If you enjoyed this episode with Jamie, please hit subscribe. This podcast is available on Apple Podcast, Spotify and Stitcher. And if you want to find the podcast on Instagram, you can at podcast. So what's next?